of Moses to be a deliverer of the people of Israel. So this is considered part two of Kevin's sermon um, last week. So let's read from God's Word and we'll read um, chapter 4, 1 through 22. So God has called Moses to be to go to Egypt and deliver the people. Moses has already said, who, who am I to do this? And then we continue in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Moses said, What if they don't believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. And the Lord furthermore said to him, now put your hand into your bosom. And he, and he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And then he said, put your hand in your bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again. And then he took it out, in his, in his, uh, out of his bosom. And it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you or heed the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. But if they will not believe even these two signs or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. And then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be be with your mouth and teach you you what you are to say. And he said, Please, Lord, now send a message by whomever you will. Then the anger of the Lord burned against Moses, and he said, Is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently, and moreover, behold, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You are to speak to him and and put the words uh, in his mouth, and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do. Moreover, he shall speak for you to the people, and he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as a God to him. And you shall take in your hand his staff with which uh, you perform the signs. And Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt to see if they're still alive or to see if they're doing well. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, 
See that you perform those. See that, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel, my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your first, your son, your firstborn. Let's pray for our time this morning as we study His Word. Holy Spirit, we welcome You this morning to enlighten us of Your Word. We welcome You to convict us of our unbelief, of our fear, of our self-sufficiency, Draw us near to the Father's heart. Father, show us who you are. Reveal more of your character to us. Reveal more of us and our character so that we would draw near to you. Bless our time, Father. May you be at work in power in us and through us and here at this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in, uh, and I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were talking through Philippians. Back in 2004, we were living in New Zealand, and uh, I was with Campus Outreach, a campus ministry at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch. And we had a director's meeting in Atlanta. Um, when we're, while we were there, I met with uh, the international director and spent five hours with him at a hotel in Atlanta. And during that time, uh, he disclosed that Campus Outreach um, was constricting and, um, and that they were closing down the ministry in New Zealand, which was a great surprise. Um, and I remember getting in my car, and as I drove away, is that 285 or 485, whichever that, that perimeter is, I was driving, uh, got on the interstate, pulled over, and then threw up. And the reason I did that was because in that moment when we thought we were going to be in New Zealand for quite a while, and we'd seen God do some pretty significant things. But during that time, in that day, I felt this incredible sense of failure. I'd, I'd let... The families down that had joined us and moved and, and moved halfway across the world. I had this incredible sense of failure of letting down many people who had given financially to help us get there. I've let the people with the church that we partnered with, that we loved. Some of our kids are named after them. I felt like I'd let them down. That if someone else had been in charge, they wouldn't have done this. Now it was a failure. And we went back to New Zealand, stayed for a year, and then we came back. It was evident that God was bringing us back to the States, brought us here to Clanton. <clears throat> and I remember coming back. We were limping back. Had very, we'd, we'd uh, given, I mean, we had lost most of what we had. We came back with uh, 14 boxes of possessions. That was what we owned when we came back, which is actually a pretty good thing from time to time. Um, and I remember coming here wounded, uh, gun-shy, 
and fearful and completely defeated. And I remember going to Paul and going to Rusty and just saying, listen, I'm going to take uh, six months to a year off. And, I, you know, I, I don't want any responsibilities. I just need to just be a church member and, and hear the word and grow in relation to God, serve my family. Um, because I, I, am, I almost felt like I was now disqualified because of the failure. So I, now, it wasn't to the extent of Moses, but I have an idea of maybe how he felt. You may have an idea of how Moses felt. You may feel like, I'm a failure in my family. I'm a failure with my kids. I'm a failure morally. I have fallen and God can't use me anymore because of the great sin in which I sinned. Whatever, wherever you are and however you feel, this is a great story for us. It's not a story, it's an event. This happened a few thousand years ago. But as we read this passage, and as we look at it, especially in the context of what, what later Scripture reveals to us, I want us to see, one, the incredible hand of God, and one calling failed and broken men and women to serve Him, to do great things, to see His incredible provision in order to accomplish His work and His mercy and grace along the way. So as we, re, as we look at this event in history, as we look at the situations around Moses, I want us to think in context of Psalm 139 when, when the Lord says to David, and David is repeating to the Lord, You knew me in my mother's womb. You know every hair on my head. You knew me before the foundation of the world. Before I speak, you know, you know what's on my mind. You know what's on my mouth. Before I do anything, Lord, you know it. And I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I look to Jeremiah 1.5 when he tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I knew you before the foundation of the world. Before you were born, I knew you and I consecrated, and I consecrated you. I chose you to be a prophet to the nations. Before you were even born, I, pre- I, will, I, pre- I have prepared you. I have planned for you to be a prophet to the nations. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What? That he's prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So in the context of that umbrella of God's providential wise work in our lives, let's look and see how God has chosen Moses to do something that is completely beyond him and his abilities. So as we look at this, okay, we're going to back up just a little bit. And, and we're going to be really quick because we don't have much time. Um, as we look at... Um, Exodus 2, we see God's providential work in rescuing Moses' uh, life. The Pharaoh has, has told the people, kill any newborn Hebrew children. And his sister places him in a basket, sends him down the Nile. The Pharaoh's daughter finds him um, and then takes him into her home. So he saves him. But not only that, but think about what God is calling him to. Okay, So God is not isolated. This is not an isolated event. God is placing him in the Pharaoh's household. He has the best education available to anyone in Egypt, especially to Hebrews. He understands the Egyptian culture. He knows it 
backwards and forwards. He understands the heart of Egypt. Do you think God may have been planning that all the way back when in his first 40 years to allow him to be in the household of Pharaoh in preparation for 40 years in the future to lead his people out? Isn't that amazing of God? How detailed, how intricate God is in orchestrating all of history to accomplish his purposes. Before Moses, Moses had no clue. Moses had no idea of what he was going to be doing. But God stirred in his heart, perhaps when he was in his 20s or 30s, but around 40, he sees a... uh, An Egyptian mistreating one of his people. He has a concern for his people, the Hebrews. The Egyptian is beating him and then he kills the Egyptian. What is he trying to do? Perhaps he's trying to do what God's called him to do, but in his own time and in his own strength. He gets caught, he flees, and he begins the second part of his journey. So in Exodus 3 and 4, we see how after he flees from Egypt... He goes into the desert, marries, and begins to raise a family and settles in kind of a sedentary life. And now remember this, okay? So we're going to fast forward to 80 years into the future. And in in chapter 3, he says, we see Moses again. And what is he doing? He's not flourishing. He's in the back end of a desert managing someone else's sheep. He's managing his father-in-law's sheep, not his sheep. So can you imagine a man who's a murderer, who had this great history, and all of it's gone, this sense of great defeat, great failure, sitting in the back end of a desert. And then we see in, in Exodus 3, God reveals himself to Moses. God is revealing himself physically in the first time in over 400 years. And then God calls him to be his instrument in delivering the people out of slavery. Now, put yourself in his place. If you're hearing that for the first time, or you're going, oh yeah, I'm the man. You're going, uh, you're probably a lot like Moses going, uh, maybe not God. Maybe not. You, you don't, I don't know if you know who I am, but I'm not the man. And what we're going to begin to see in this whole passage is he's calling um, Moses. We need to understand this. this. This whole passage as we move forward is not a confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh. It's not the Ten Commandments of the, of the movie. Alright? This is a confrontation of God the sovereign ruler of the world and the, and the God of the Hebrews versus the God of the superpower of the day. And Pharaoh who represents those gods in incarnation. That's, that's what we're looking at. Ephesians 6 is telling us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. No. It's much grander, much bigger than that. Is against rulers and powers and principalities. That's what we're looking at. And the same thing applies here. The God of the, in, of the Israelite or the God of the Hebrews is confronting the gods of this world. And so 
What are we looking at? In, this, in summary of this passage, we see God calling the reluctant leader, and we see God's provision for his needs and our inadequacies so that he can accomplish the task. So God's call of reluctant leader and his provision. In verses 3, 4 through 9, we see God seeing his people, having compassion on his people, seeing their suffering, and wanting to do something about it. And then in 3, verse 10, he says to Moses, Therefore come now, and I will send you to the Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So he sees the need, he chooses a man, he says, I'm sending you to go. In verse 10, he says, or in verse 11, says, Moses said to God, um, But God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out? God you don't understand. I'm not the man. I'm not the man. And what is God's provision in that, in that place? He says to Moses, I will be with you. He didn't say, Moses, you're the man. You've got the abilities. You've got the capacity. You're a leader. And I'm sending you to lead. No. He says, Moses, you're the man, and I will be with you. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. I'm just going to do it through you. Can you imagine the God of all of creation saying to Moses, I will be with you? That same God is saying to you and I, Ivy, Steve, Josh, Tim, I, the God of all of creation, I will be with you in whatever I've called you to do. That's what his provision is for Moses. In verse 3.13 says, But God, by whose authority? Who am I, I going to tell them who sent me? He's anticipating their doubts. And what does God say? His provision is, I am who I am has sent you. I am the sovereign king. I am all sufficiency. That's who's sending you, Moses. And I remembered my promise to my people. And I'm going to deliver them and, and give them a land of, of my choosing for them. The same promise I made to Abraham, I'm fulfilling it in you and in this, in this time. And then in verse 4.1, Moses says, but what if they don't believe me? Or listen to what I say. For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So another excuse. Lord, I'm not the man. I'm with you. But, but God, who am I going to say sent me? Well, tell them I am who I am sent you. But God, what if they don't listen? And then God's provision. He gives signs and wonders. Now, signs and wonders in, through the Scripture. Wonders were meant to get your attention. To go, it was the aha. Wow, that was pretty cool. A sign is that wonder pointing us to something that God is trying to teach us. And so he's given us signs and wonders here. And so in verse 2 um, through 5, he says, What's that in your hands, Moses? What's a staff? Throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground. It becomes a snake. We know it's a snake because he tries to run away from it. And he says, Pick it up. And he picks it up. And it becomes a staff again. Now, he's given us a sign, a wonder. That's amazing. What does it point to? And it's interesting that God is, is already prepared and how he's going to hit the Egyptians because the, the snake, the cobra, 
was almost like a national, it was a symbol of authority for the king, for the Pharaoh. It was used in their religion, so it's a key component of the authority of Egypt. And God is saying, I'm going to strike at the heart of the Egyptian authority. He gives us a sign, or gives us a wonder, and he gives us a sign. And it's teaching us God is sovereign over all things. And then he says, well, Moses, put your hand into your bosom. Put your hand into your cloak. He puts it in, take it out, and it's leprous. Now put it back in. He take, puts it in, takes it out. It's clean. Again, leprosy was a common ailment. Especially any skin condition was a common ailment in Egypt. They were not known as, as the cleanest people on the, on the planet. And so... When someone had leprosy or skin disease, they thought it was a curse of the gods. And so God is showing, using this sign, this wonder to reveal, I am sovereign. I can curse and I can cleanse to reveal himself to them. The third wonder, he says, and if they don't believe that, What I want you to do, Moses, is to get water from the Nile and I want you to pour it onto dry land and it will turn to blood. Now, the Nile was the very existence of the people of Egypt. It represented everything of their power, their prosperity. It was central to all of life. All of the farming, all their chief gods were in some way tied to the Nile. And God in His providence is saying, I will strike at the heart of the culture of Egypt itself and show that I am God. I am sovereign. Moses, that's what I want to show. And so if they don't believe the one, show them the second. If they don't believe the second, show them the third and they will believe. He's already promised that they're going to listen. And then... In chapter 4, verse 10, what does he say again? So he's shown him three signs. He says, I'm going to be with you. I've shown you these three signs. And then Moses said to the Lord, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow in speech and slow in tongue. Another objection. Now Moses knows that the magicians of Egypt were not well known for their eloquence of speech. And so can you imagine, he doesn't have high regard for his own speech. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to be embarrassed. And what does God say to him? And the Lord said to him, in his provision, okay, his objection, his reluctance, now God has given him a provision. I'm going to provide for you, Moses. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then, go and I will eat and I, even I, will be with your mouth and will teach you everything that you're going to say. Again, what he's saying is, Moses, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to teach you everything that you need to know. Just go. Just go. And then finally in verse 4.13, he says lastly, but he said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. Now, 
Some, some translations said, you know, can you find somebody else? Most would say, this is, he's basically saying, whatever you're going to do. Send whoever you're going to send. Kind of a resignation of whatever you're going to do. And it says God's anger, God's anger began to heat up with him. Because why? Why is God angry with Moses? Is it because he's disobedient? He's broken some law? No. You and I think, generally speaking, we think God is angry with us when we break one of his laws in the sense of we've done something morally wrong, we've lied, we steal, we cheated. Those obviously are things that make God angry. But God is most angry. God is most upset when we don't believe Him. When we don't trust Him. He is a relational God. He initiates to us in relationship. He says, I am King. I am Sovereign God. I can do whatever I want. I am that I am. And I want you to trust me and to follow me. And I will do great works in your life. And us, we, just like Moses, go, but God, you don't understand. I'm not like Kevin and have witty, pithy saints. I can't do that. But God, I'm not gifted like Tim King and Sharon. But God, I'm not gifted in music like Fred Gentry. I can't do that. And God says, I am with you. If, I've, if I give you anything to do, you need to understand I've already gone before you. I've already prepared you from before you were born to get you to the point here. So if I'm ever calling you to do anything, I've already gone before you. I've already, I've already worked in your life in preparation and I've already gone before you. He already said to Moses, they're going to listen. He knows what will happen. And what's interesting is he's already told Aaron to come to Moses. He, uh, he knows Moses' objections before Moses gives them. And Aaron is on his way. Isn't God incredible? So what objections do we give through fear, through a sense of inadequacy? And guess what? All of that is usually pride. The root is not humility. The root is pride. God, I don't want to look bad. I may fail because it's all about me. When we came back from New Zealand, it wasn't about God. It was about I failed. I look bad now. It is, I was stuck in my own story. Moses is stuck in his very small story. And God wants him to break out of your own small story, uh, Moses. I've got, I've got a large story that you could never create on your own. And I'm inviting you to come into that story to do something incredible. That's what God wants to do. And he's inviting each one of us to join his large story. And not stay in our small stories. It's about me and how do I look and what can I do and what kingdom can I build for myself. That's what God is trying to do. And He's preparing us and He's providing for us all along the way. So when He says, please send someone else, 
God says, Aaron will be your mouth. And I will be with you both. And I will teach you both what to say. Go. Moses isn't the only reluctant leader that God has used. We see Gideon in Judges 6, when the Midianites have conquered the land and are oppressing the people of Israel. And God appears to Gideon in Judges 6, 12 and 15 through 17. And it says this, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, this is Gideon, The Lord be with you, O mighty man of valor. That is his position. That is what God says about him. And then Gideon said to him, uh, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said this to him, I know all that. I am well aware that you're the least of the least of the least. But remember this. I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God is with him. Esther, in Esther 4.14, where genocide, Hamath is about to, um, has gone to the king and said, the Jews are rebellious, let's kill them all. And an edict goes out. And Esther's uncle, Mordecai, says, Esther, I need you to go to the king. Because you're the queen. And she says, but you don't understand, Mordecai. That may be my head if I do that. She's living in her own small story. And Esther 4.14, it says, this is Mordecai talking to her, for if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. God will accomplish what God will accomplish. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther, God may have given you this position for such a time as this to use you to deliver all of our people. Trust Him. Trust Him. He will go before you. He will be with you. So how do we apply this? And what's interesting is we get as we fast forward a few verses toward the end of that passage, God already tells Moses what he's going to do. Now think how bold this is. So here's a man who's been making excuse after excuse after excuse, and God's saying, I will provide, I will provide, I will provide, and I will be with you. Then he says, here's what I want you to do. When you do go and see Pharaoh, you tell him that Israel is my firstborn. My firstborn son. You need to let him go. And if you do not, then I will kill your firstborn son. I will cut off your succession plan for the kingdom. Can you imagine the boldness when Moses heard initially I'm going to send you and now the message is go to the Pharaoh and say let my people go or God's wrath will be on you. That's amazing. And he does it. He does it. Isn't that incredible? 
the grace and mercy and patience and the power of God to work incredible things. So how does this apply to us? How do we take this passage and apply it to our lives? Well, I think the first thing is reject the notion that you have to have it all together in order for God to use you. Reject that notion completely. Because God has done that with many a flawed and failed men and women. You look at Abraham. Abraham was not the ideal father-husband. And yet God used him. He's the father. He's our spiritual father. Moses kills a man. Reluctantly becomes God's deliverer. Samson, a womanizer, and yet God uses him. David murders a man, commits adultery, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. Peter denies Christ three times. And and before he does it, Jesus says, Peter, when you fall or after you fall, go and encourage the brothers. Jesus knew he was going to fall, gave him unconditional grace and love and says, I'm going to restore you. Go. And Jesus becomes the rock for the church, for the future. And then we have Paul, a murderer, hunted down um, the Christians. And what does he say here? In Philippians 4, 13 and 14, it says, Brothers, I don't consider as having made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So if you think you have to get everything together, you're never going to do that. You will never have your life together. But press on to know Christ. Press on to walk into His story. Press on to be used by Him. The second thing, lean into and rely upon God's power, not your own. Lean into and rely upon His resources, not your own. He's given you skills. He's given you abilities. But it's all in the context of His power being used in us. In Zechariah 4, 6, it says this. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord goes to your neighbor through you, unless the Lord... Builds your family. Unless the Lord builds your business. Unless the Lord builds your ministry. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city. The watchmen stay awake in vain. When Moses tried to do it on his own. What? He failed. When Samson tried to do it on his own. What? He failed. When Peter tried to do it on his own. What? He failed. It was through failure that God raised them up from the ashes and used them. That it was His power, His reliance, because God will never share glory with you or I. He will never share glory with anyone because He is God. He is jealous for His own name. He is jealous for His own glory. And He will do it through us. And then lastly, as we close... Don't let fear paralyze you when you sense God leading you. Don't let fear paralyze you. I can't. I fear. What will they think? 
And whether that's going across the street and talking to your neighbor, whether that's making an ethical business decision that may cost you greatly, whether that's having a hard conversation with your spouse or your child, don't let fear paralyze you. Scripture says this in Isaiah 41.10, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, O Lord. Because it's foolish to put our trust in you. You have a right to be afraid if you're going in your own resources. You better be afraid. You have a right to be intimidated. But God has said, I will be with you. In the same way, I want to be careful. In the same sense that God was with Moses through Christ, God is with us every single moment of every single day through His Spirit. So be bold and courageous. Not in your own wisdom, not in your own power, not in your own resources, not on your own plan. And hoping God will bless it. But as He leads you, as you walk with Him according to His big story, He will do great and mighty things through failed and broken and small people like you and I. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Forgive me if I have in any way misrepresented you or misrepresented what you want to do or communicate to your people. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your power that you don't send someone else to go with us. And Moses knew this. Moses learned this. Later on, he says to you, who will go before these people? And he says, unless you go before us, Lord, do not send us out from this place. And he says, show us your glory. He learned it. He learned it through failure. He learned it through taking steps. He learned it through your acts as, you, as he saw you go before him. Father, build our faith so that we would be like Moses and walk with you, be used by you, Go and change our communities for your glory and for your name. Amen.